Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. We're thrilled you've joined us for this week's podcast. Dr. Kelly is currently leading us through a series on the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is a letter from the Apostle Paul to his favorite church. Yes, pastors do have favorite churches, and Pastor Paul absolutely loved the believers at Philippi. In most letters, Paul offered lots of course correction. At Philippi, he offered none. Instead, he spoke to them with great affection about their impact and maturity in Christ. No other book in the Bible has more memorable and life-changing verses than Philippians. In this series, Dr. Benji Kelly leads his favorite church through memorizing these power-packed verses and maturing in Christ. How we doing? Welcome, welcome, welcome to all of you here at Central Campus. Want to give a warm shout out to Columbia, North Raleigh, Samford, Garner, NCCIW, Coffee House, Internet Campus. Those of you who might be watching it anywhere on the television, welcome one, welcome all. We are glad you are here. Now let's celebrate the whole movement on the count of three. One, two, three. Celebrate, church. Love you guys. Love you guys. Love you guys. Hey, real quickly, if you were here the last couple of weeks, we did a series called what? Separation of church and hate. Exactly. Separation of church and hate. The very first week, uh, two weeks ago, I got down and dirty and kind of just went through like five key statements that helped shape the DNA and the culture of our church in terms of separation of church and hate. Chad Lunsford, our connections and teaching pastor, taught last week and actually talked about, uh, he kind of went really actually more uh, 30,000 feet level and looked at a theological understanding of why we are called to separate church from hate. Can I get an amen? And we just want to let you know because this was a really important series. It is in the Resource Center. So you are welcome to go check that out. Hey, I got uh, one more thing I want to say, and then we're going to jump right into today. Uh, October. I say this every year. October is Pastor Appreciation Month. And I say it, you used to laugh because you thought I would always talk about, like, appreciate me. No, 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 this is not about Benji, okay? I say it every year. I used to bring all my pastors up on the stage so you could see them all. Um, but there's too many these days. I, here's, here's what I want to say, and then I want to move on. Will you appreciate them? And I've, I've kind of widened it around here, not just to pastors, but all the church staff. If there's a staff member or a pastor of this church that you're fond of, that just has impacted your life, Will you take October and, and even into the holiday season and will you find a way to bless them? Would you do that? Well, again, and I'm not talking about me. I'm good. I'm good. I just want you to really love on and, and bless the pastors and the staff of this church. And I'm talking about it at all the campuses as well. Because listen, I don't know if you know this or not. Ministry is hard. It's like really hard. And uh, we have world-class pastors and staff at this church. Yes. Yes. I do that with you. I just honor them. And I try to honor them and bless them year-round, but I really like to encourage you guys from October through the holiday season to give them some love, bless them. Maybe, maybe babysit their kids while they go out on a date with their spouse. Okay, maybe give them a gift card, maybe just give them a hug, maybe just give them a card, whatever. The Spirit will move you, bless them, and uh, that will go a long way. Hey, you got your Bibles? Hold up your Bible. Hold it. Oh, wow. Now, keep them up. I'm so encouraged. Hold them up. 
Say, this is my Bible. Speak to me, God. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I see some people holding up their iPhones and, and iPads and all, too, and, and that's cool. Um, but can I, I know I've said before, that's cool, use those, use those tools of technology. But can I just encourage you to maybe think about bringing an old school Bible? Come on now, she said. Come on. I mean, there's just, there's just I don't know, there's, there's just something about it in the house of the Lord, right? Like all of you who bring your, your phones and your iPads, and again, I'm not knocking you because anything is better than nothing. Amen. But, 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 but what, what if your battery dies? Your, your Christianity and your spiritual growth and your engagement in a sermon should not be determined or dictated upon a power surge. Come on now, because the power surge is the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So you, you, I mean, if, if, if you got your phone and you want me to shut up, I'm going to shut up. Um, but I'm just, that just gives me a chance to say, especially during a series like this, because go ahead and crack open your Bibles to Philippians, because here's what we're doing for seven weeks. Seven weeks, we're digging into this book. And I don't know how else to say it to you except to say this. Philippians is one of the most quoted books in the entire Bible. I don't know how else to say it, but to say, I mean, Philippians is chock full of coffee mug verses, if you know what I mean. T-shirt verses, if you know what I mean. You know, Philippians 1, 6, we're going to be looking at our memory verse. And by the way, we're going to memorize scripture throughout this entire series. Every Sunday, I'm going to give you a verse of scripture to memorize. Because the Bible says in Psalm 119, listen, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against thee. So we're going to hide God's word in our hearts in this series. And Philippians is just, you know what the hardest challenge for me was? The hardest challenge for me was to pick six verses. Because there are just so many. Chapter 1 says this, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, it's, what's, what's, the, what's the apostle saying? He's saying, you know what? If I die, it's great. It's all the gain. It's all the better. But if I live, I'm going to live unto Christ right now. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Our, our memory verse for this week, are you ready for it? Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, will carry it unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Read it with me. Ready? I want you to just put this to memory. Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know what that verse teaches us? Listen. It teaches us that spiritual maturity is a journey It teaches us, listen, that God's blessings in your life, leave that up there, way to go guys, I want them to just kind of be able to reflect on it, that God's blessings, God's maturity, God's favor in your life takes time. Now come on, that's where the rub is for us. You know why? Because we want things now. Let me me show you, let let me take a picture of you. 
Actually, let me, let me take a, let's take a group selfie. You ready? You ready? You ready? Let's turn it around. Boom. Booyah. Ready? Everybody smile. Everybody smile. All right, hold on. Let me, let me post that bad boy to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. No, ain't nobody got time for that. But you know what I'm saying? We, we, we like things now. We are a culture that microwaves Minute Maid rice. Have you ever thought about that? We want everything and we want it now. I was in New York City this past weekend. I took a group of our worship leaders to the Hillsong Conference. And on Sunday they had four worship celebrations and different preachers every service. I stayed for every one. It was a preacher's dream. I mean, it was unbelievable. And so I just sat there. But I noticed a strange phenomenon in those service of worship. I noticed that people in the middle of worship kept taking pictures. And then they would post them. And I'm not critiquing them because I did it some as well. And I had this thought, as some of you have, I know you think about this from time to time, as you're out and about and you're taking your pictures and you're posting them, I had this thought, are we sometimes missing life because we're so consumed with posting our stuff? Are we sometimes missing life because we're so into instant gratification? And Paul says in Philippians 1, 6, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring that work unto completion. It's more like this, beloved. (laughs) Do you remember that? Come on, let's take a selfie. I don't know. I can't even see how it's going to look, but... Glory, hallelujah. Shake it, shake it, shake it like a Polaroid. Shake it, shake it, right? I'll show you that in a minute see how it turns out. When I was a kid, that was big time. That was fast. When I was a kid, my mom had a camera that you had to push a button and a door opened up and you put a roll of film in that bad boy. Oh, you remember that? And you shot those 24 or 36 pictures. And then what? You had to take that roll of film out, what? And take it down to the local drugstore. For us, it was Eckerd's. And you had to drop it off and put it in a pouch. You remember? You had to fill out your information. And then you had to do what? (laughs) You had to wait. Like seven to ten days, man. they They took that roll of film and they took it into a dark room. Where they developed that film. And then you had to get in the car and go back down there and pick it up. I stopped by to let you know today that Philippians is reminding us in chapter 1 that God wants to develop you, but He does not develop you instantly. God will often develop you by taking you into the dark rooms of life. Come on now. Where in those dark rooms, He wants to develop not your image, but His image in you. And that, beloved, takes time. That, that is where we're going in Philippians. And I am so excited. If I just put it in some words here, how I would say it. Everything in our culture and in our human nature wants instant gratification. But God wants to do a mighty work in me through a long journey of Christian maturity. Read that and just let it settle in. Because it goes against 
the culture of everything that we live, eat, breathe, and sleep today. And Paul's letter to the Philippians, and this is why I'm so excited about it. Paul's letter to the Philippians is all about Christian maturity. Let me just frame it a little bit for you. And if you got your, but this is another reason why your old school Bible is good. Take notes in your Bible. You might take notes right around chapter one, or if your Bible has an introduction page, if you've got a study Bible, just take these notes. The book of Philippians was written around the year 60 AD. The church was started in the year 50. So Paul is actually writing the church about 10 years after the fact. He's writing it from a jail cell. I see a lot of people writing. I'll slow down a little bit. Sorry about that. So he's writing from a jail cell. He's in chains. We're going to study today exactly how this church started. That should really excite us since we're a new church. You know, we're only 11 years old, right? And so we're going to see Paul writing to them from a jail cell. And then we're going to go look in Acts 16. And we're going to find out exactly how the church started 10 years prior around the year 50. Here's an interesting note if you're taking notes on on just kind of contextual information on Philippians. Philippians is the only epistle of Paul where Paul doesn't come out offering them strong course correction. In other words, this is Paul's favorite church. You're like, well, pastors don't have favorites. Oh, yes, we do. And I'm just truthful enough to let you know. Pastors have favorite churches. Pastors have favorite people, by the way. And Paul was fond of New Hope. That's why I love this letter, because I'm so fond of you. Paul, Paul, did I say Paul was fond of New Hope? (laughs) Well, no, not really. Paul, if you're up in heaven looking down, maybe you are. Paul, I, I can't, I really can't articulate this enough. Paul loved the Philippian church. He, he didn't come out offering them any course correction. In his other letters, particularly like Corinthians, where he's just hounding them, you're messing up, you're doing this, you're doing that. He still expressed the, God, the love of God to them, but he would talk about God's feelings toward them. In Philippians, he talked about his feelings toward them. He loved the Philippian church. They were generous partners with him in the gospel. And so let's crack open the word of the Lord And let's look at this today. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. If you're ready for the word, say amen. Got a lot of scripture coming at you today. You good with that? A lot of scripture. They said, bring it. Philippians 1, here we go. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to God's holy people, to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, Together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a typical Pauline introduction here. No doubt this is Paul writing the letter. Sometimes Paul would have other folks write it for him. This is Paul. Look at verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with, help me out church, with what? With joy because of your partnership in the gospel 
From the first day until now. Here's the memory verse. Why don't you read it with me? Ready? Go. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains, and he was, or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Verse 8. Now listen to to a pastor who loves his people. God can testify how I long for. For all of you. If, you. if you got your Bibles and you want to put another word there. I believe a better translation is the word yearn. God can testify how I yearn. For all of you. Here I love this. With the affection of Christ Jesus. Verse 9. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge. And depth. Of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Here's the spiritual maturity. Watch this. Filled with the fruit of of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Typical. Intro the first few verses, but then it changes, changes gears significantly as Paul lets them know, listen, I am in chains. Like I said, it's 10 years later, but I long for you. I yearn for you. Thank you for being a partner in the gospel. Even though now I am arrested, I yearn to be in your presence. By the way, can I give you just a little prayer request? Our Nairobi campus pastor was arrested this past week. For taking a picture, taking a picture of potential church sites for our Nairobi campus. So pray for him. His name is Joshua. And the good news is all is well. He was arrested, but they, he got out of it. They know some people. They have, they have great uh, connections in the Nairobi area. But Joshua was arrested. Paul was arrested. He's in a jail cell and he's claiming his love and his affection For the people. So, right out of the gate, Paul lets them know that his desire and hope for his people is that they would grow in what, church? Spiritual maturity, in righteousness, in holiness, as they were obviously doing. Here's here's what's interesting. If you want to know how Philippians starts, you got to turn over to Acts 16. So it's very, I know it's very strange. We're starting a series on Philippians and it's probably the only time I'm going to do it in this series, but I got to take you to another book. So go to Acts 16, just take a left and go to Acts 16. Unbelievable passage of scripture in Acts 16. We're actually going to read about how the Philippian church got started. And I, and I just need to look at Columbia and I need to look at North Raleigh and tell you, these days that you guys are living in are sacred. They are precious days because they are setting the culture and the DNA of your campuses. Just like 11 years ago, what happened at the high school 
And the, and the ways in which God blessed with conversion experiences. And we baptized people under an American flag at East Chapel Hill High School on a dreary, cloudy day, just like today, our first baptism. Those stories are sacred and they set the culture and the DNA of a church family. And what we're about to read about in Acts 16 is how Paul started this church at Philippi 10 years prior. We're going to start, we're going to pick up in verse 13 of Acts 16. If you're ready for the word, say bring it. Pastor, way to go church. Verse 13, here we go. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named what? Now, let me just say this. I love the name Lydia, and I think it's very cool that we have a worship leader on staff here now. Her name is Lydia, and she leads in the coffee house worship experience with Rowan and Pastor Fuller is even going to be going up there some going forward. Her name is Lydia and we find this this woman in Acts 16. Her name is Lydia. She's from Thyatira. Okay. She is a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and all the members of her household were, were what? She invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Lydia. Lydia was a dealer in what? That tells you, if you know Uh, the context of first century Roman world, Lydia was a wealthy woman. Lydia was from where? Thyatira. That means Lydia was of an Asian descent. I want you to get into the text today. I want you to breathe the text today. I want you to picture a little Asian woman who is wealthy. I want you to picture an Asian woman who who would be like the CEO of Forever 21 today. I want you to... Lydia Lydia has a high-rise loft in New York. And Lydia has a beautiful mansion on the coast of southern Los Angeles. Lydia is wealthy. She gets saved. She gets baptized. And then she says to Paul, if you consider me a believer, why don't you come on over to my house? Let me just tell you something. Paul was a tent maker. When Paul went to her place, you can rest assured, Paul was like, whoa, these are some nice gigs. This is a place. This place. Paul was blown away by Lydia's place. This woman was incredibly wealthy. She's saved and she's baptized. Now let's go to the next passage. Let's continue. Verse 16. Once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money from her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. 
She kept this up for many, what? Days. Now, I like the next verse. I just want to go ahead and tell you. I like the next verse because it articulates how annoying this woman was to Paul. Maybe, maybe this speaks a little bit to my dark side. But Paul gets ready. He's just annoyed. He's just hacked off at her. And so Paul, once he can't take it anymore, he says, Spirit, come out of her. Now, that means Paul is far more godly than I am. Because what I would have probably said after a few days is, crazy woman, there's a seminar on Saturday for crazy women, and I'll pay your way. Seriously, she's just, a, she's just two days of this, just yelling and yelling and yelling, and look at what happens. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. Again, get into the text. Breathe it. Smell it. The Bible tells us that this woman earned a quite a bit of money by this spirit inside of her. This woman was manic, okay? This woman walked around telling people's futures and making money for those who were over her. It says that they got mad at her. Look at verse 19 through 21. We're just going to keep plowing through the text. Verse 19, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone. By the way, most tensions in the world always revolve around the coin. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar. Now underline this next verse. By advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now check this out. Again, what I want to do in this series more than anything is I just want to teach you the Bible. And I want to teach you how to read the Bible. I want to teach you how to get into the Bible. I want to teach you how to smell the Bible. What are they doing here? They're playing the race card. So the church of Philippi starts, right? The church of Philippi starts. We see Lydia, who is a seller of purple material, she gets saved. Then we come across this manic slave woman who has a spirit in her. Though she's able to tell the truth, she knows that these men have the spirit of God in them. And they're telling her, by the way, to be saved. She gets saved. Paul casts the spirit out of her. Which means that the money flow is going to cease because she's no longer going to do that. The magistrates get mad. They arrest Paul and Silas. And in verse 21, they say, These men are Jews, Paul and Silas, and are throwing our city into an uproar. Hear it, hear it. By advocating customs unlawful for us Romans. Do you see it? It's the race card. It's still being played today. And it was played there, and it was exactly right. They were, they were doing the racist deal. How dare these Jews tell us Romans, how dare these Jews come in among us and preach this new way and force their lifestyle upon us Romans. Unbelievable. Look at verse 22. Verse 22. 
the crowd, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer, so here's the next character. We've got Lydia. We've got the manic slave woman. Now we're going to camp out on the jailer for just a moment. Look at what the Bible says. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now just hold tight for a moment. When you and I think about stocks, we picture a kind of westernized version of stocks or maybe a 15th, 16th European style. You know, the, the, the prisoner is made to stand up. His arms go into the two holes. You know what I'm saying? His head goes through. We've all seen that. That was not what first century Rome meant when they threw somebody into stocks. What they meant then was they would take a prisoner and they would bound him in chains and usually fasten the chains to a big rock or a pole. And the, and the prisoner would be so bound up in chains that the body would be contorted. And the prisoner usually could not even move. And any kind of movement would be incredibly painful, if not impossible. Now, it helps to understand that for the next part of the passage to come alive. So Paul and Silas are beaten. They're put in stocks, chained up in jail. And look at what happens at midnight. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open... He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Now, this is the amazing thing about Paul. I don't know about you. I don't even know about me. I don't know if at midnight, if I had been chained and my body was contorted and I couldn't even hardly move. I don't know. I just don't know. I hope so. I don't know. That would I, at midnight, would I be singing hymns and songs of praise? A serious question. Would you? I mean, I don't know. The chains come off and the jailer comes and sees that this is going down. And what does he get ready to do? He gets ready to kill himself. Now, some of you are wondering, well, why would he do that? Here's why he would do that. Again, first century Rome, they were no joke. If you were a jailer on guard of a prisoner and the prisoner escaped, you were a dead man walking. So he, the jailer's just like, I'm going to die anyway. I might as well kill myself. Right? And Paul says, no, don't do it. We are here. I'm telling you, it's an unbelievable passage of scripture. Now, let me tell you about the jailer. Since I've told you about Lydia and I've told you about the manic demon-possessed woman, the jailer was 
Well, he was like a blue-collar dude. You got Lydia, she's wealthy, you know, rolling in the dough. CEO, executive of the purple linen industry, if you know what I'm saying. Then you got the, the manic-possessed woman who's also wealthy, but she's very different than Lydia. In the last part of Acts 16, you got this jailer dude. He's a duty-bound kind of man. He's like a lot of you men that I'm sitting here. I mean, he's a hard-working man. He gets up. He goes to work. He does his job. He's, he's blue-collar. He's the kind of guy that when he gets home at night, he wants, to, he wants to just sit down, put his feet up. I don't know, maybe drink a beer. He's that kind of guy. He's, he's just a duty-bound, hard-working man. And when this goes down, he's about to take his own life because he knows that his life is as good as gone. Paul says, no, 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 no. Don't do it. Let's just continue. Verse 29. Verse 29. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, check it out, sirs. What must I do to be what, church? What must I do to be saved? Listen in. Now you, should be, you should be on the edge of your seat. If you're not sure about salvation, if you just kind of wandered in here, or you've just been kind of playing the church game, you've been doing the lukewarm religious thing, but you, you really want to know what it means to be saved. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31. They replied... Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be, help me out, saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. Let's continue. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds... Then, here's a key word. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to underline it. Then, then what? Immediately. He and all his household were what, church? Immediately. He and all his household were baptized. You see this in the book of Acts often. You see entire families getting into the waters of baptism. Verse 20, 34. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with, by the way, the whole book of Philippians, which we will get back to. The whole book of Philippians can be summed up in one word theme, joy. Joy found in maturity of Christ. But if you want to put it in one word, joy. The jailer brought them into the house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God He and his whole household. Christianity starts with believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? It believes, it starts with believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It is based upon nothing that we do. It is based solely upon faith in one and one only. And his name is what, church? Jesus Christ. Have you ever experienced 
an authentic conversion. That's what Acts 1, Acts 16 and Philippians 1 brings to us today. Have you ever experienced an authentic Christian conversion where you gave your life to Jesus Christ and you were saved and have you ever followed it up with the immediacy of baptism, which we are going to do today? Have you ever done that? We're going to be singing a song in just a little bit at all of our campuses and it's going to tag to that old hymn. Well, I kind of call it a, uh, it was kind of a Christian hymn that we used to sing in the youth group uh, with the acoustic guitar. But I have decided, you remember that one? I have decided to what? Follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The world what? Behind me. The cross where? Before me. I have decided to follow Jesus. Have you ever had an authentic conversion experience? And secondly, have you ever had a meaningful baptism celebration where brothers and sisters in Christ got around you and celebrated your faith and your public profession of your faith? Baptism is how you get out of the gate of Christianity, if you will. Runners. Runners tell you all the time. I'm talking about Olympic runners. They tell you that one of the most important things is not the end of the race, but how you get out of the gate. How you start. Christianity is started when a man or a woman humbles themselves and says, I can't save myself. I need you, Jesus. I am a sinner and I need you to be my savior. And they're saved and they're baptized as a public profession of that faith. You know what Acts 16 reminds us? That the gospel shatters all separations among humanity. Come on now. You know what I love about Acts 16? Here's the deal. Lydia, Lydia, remember? Little Asian woman, CEO of Forever 21. She would have never, ever, ever hung out. With the slave, manic, demon-possessed woman. She'd have never hung out with her. Ever. And the demon-possessed woman would have never hung out with Lydia. And neither of them would have ever hung out with the blue-collar jailer. But they got saved. And the gospel shattered all of those financial tensions. All of those racial tensions. Tensions, all of those divides, the gospel shattered it and created a community called church. And that is why we love the church so much around here. As I look out here at you, that is why we're here together. All of our diversity is a beautiful thing. And come on, let's just be honest. Some of you wouldn't have hung out with the people around you. Some of you, some of you in your life group, you would never hang out with that person if it wasn't for your life group. Or better put, better put, if it wasn't for the gospel. Because the gospel shatters all of that and creates a new community called church. Listen, the gospel breaks through race. Can I get an amen? The gospel breaks through tensions and jealousies around coin. Can I get an amen? The gospel breaks through cultural differences. Can I get an amen? The gospel breaks through everything. 
And it changes the course of your life and my life. And it enables me and it enables you to be with men and women of extreme diversity. And we are one in Christ. It, it changes your course. Have you ever had a head-on collision with Jesus? That's the title of the next book I'm working on. That's the subtitle. It's called Wrecked. Wrecked. And the subtitle is A Head-On Collision with Jesus and the Birth of New Hope. Have you ever, have you ever had a head-on collision with Jesus where he changed your course and plunged you into the waters of baptism? One of my favorite stories, true story by the way, is a transcript of an actual radio conversation of a U.S. naval ship with the Canadian authorities off the coast of Newfoundland in October 1995. This is a true story. October 1995, U.S. naval ship speaking with the Canadian authorities. The radio conversation was released by the chief of naval operations on 10-10-1995. Listen in. The Americans, they say this. Please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. The Canadians, we recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. Americans, this is the captain of the United States Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. Canadians... No. I say again, you divert your course. Americans, this is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic Fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand... That you change your course 15 degrees north. That's one five degrees north. Or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. Canadians, this is the lighthouse. Your call. I love that. It's your call today. It's your call. Have you ever truly humbled your heart and your life and your soul and given your sins over to a Savior who stands ready and willing Who knocks on the door of your heart? And have you ever had a head-on collision with Jesus Christ? Have you ever done anything just crazy? Like went from a conversion experience to baptism. Which we're having here today at Central Campus. In Columbia Campus, your pastor, Pastor Aaron's will speak to you exactly about what baptism looks for you folks in the future. But for the rest of us here in the New Hope movement, have you ever 
had that conversion experience with Jesus Christ. Where it was for real. It was legit. And it wrecked you. And you went from that into the waters of baptism. And you said, I publicly profess my faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life. I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. For some of you, it might be, you know what? So for some of you, man, you were, you were born religious. For some of you, man, your, your mama went in labor, went to the church and spit you right out on the altar. And your first word was Jesus. For all I know, they might have baptized you right there. But if you were honest with yourself, you'd say, you know what? My faith has kind of grown stagnant. It's just kind of stale. And I'm going through the motions. And what, I, what stirs me inside is this whole idea of Philippians helping me grow in spiritual maturity. Others of you, you might just be here and you've just been coming to church. But it's never really settled. It's never really sunk in. It's never really become real for you, authentic for you. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Others of you, maybe maybe you're growing in Christ. You're in a good place, but you know, you know you've never been baptized as a believer. The Bible doesn't speak about infant baptism, church. We dedicate children around here. We baptize believers. It is unequivocally clear in Scripture. Baptism is for believers. Some of you are here and you, you've never, your mama did it, your daddy did it when you were a kid, or maybe you were forced to do it. Some pastor scared you and you got baptized and it never really meant anything to you, but you're in a different place. And the truth is you have never publicly professed your faith in Christ through baptism. Why don't you do it today? I'll clap for you too. Why don't you do it today? Let's pray. All heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, thank you that the gospel changes our course. Thank you that the gospel is real. Thank you for this unbelievable beginning, God, that many of us learned for the first time today in Acts 16 and the way in which the Philippian church was birthed. God, thank you for Paul sitting in a jail cell with with his pen and paper lit by candle and and writing to the Philippian church some 10 years later with a pastoral heart that yearned and longed to be with these people, particularly Lydia and this slave woman who was set free from her demon and this jailer. God, these men, these women, no doubt, had become leaders in the church and, and Paul just loved them. He was fond of this church, God. And as I read Philippians, God, I thank you that I feel the same way about New Hope. You know how much I love this church. God, I pray that this series would bring us to higher heights, deeper depths of spiritual maturity. I pray, God, that it would begin today as men and women possibly quit playing games with you. They give their whole lives to you. And they allow the Spirit to take them and plunge them into the waters of baptism. God, thank you for that gift. Thank you for this treasure gift of Philippians and what you're going to do through it. But most of all, Father God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We give you our lives today. 
We surround men and women, God, that, that there's only one reason that we're together. It's because of the gospel. And we thank you that you bring us together, God, in all of our diversity, in all of our similarities. You bring us together, and you've created this thing called church, and we're so grateful. We thank you for salvation, God, that happens every single week throughout this church. And I want to take a moment, God, and just pray for the person who is sitting here or at any of our campuses, God. And the Spirit is stirring their soul. They know that they need you. And so, God, I want them to pray a simple prayer with me between them and you, God, that would go something like this. Lord Jesus, I thank you for salvation. I thank you for dying on the cross for me. I am a sinner. And I need you to be my Savior. So to the best of my ability, God, to the best that I know how, I'm going to open up my heart today. Open up my mind today. Open up my life today. And invite you, Spirit of God, to come in. To take up residence in me. To birth inside of me, Lord God, the joy. The joy that we see coming to life in this letter, the joy that we see in Paul, nothing could shut him up, nothing could keep him down. So come in, Lord Jesus. I give you my life today. Maybe it's for the first time, maybe it's for the tenth time. I give you my life today. If you would publicly acknowledge that right now and maybe through baptism later, I just want you to raise your hand right where you are. Just lift your hands up. All over the place. Just lift them up high. Lift them up. At our campuses. At our campuses. Lift them up. I see all of you here at Central. I see you. I pray for you over here on the side. Those of you in the back. I pray for you. Father, we trust that hands are popping up at all of our campuses as well. Thank you for these, your children, who are yielding their lives to you. Thank you for saving them. Thank you for blessing them. Thank you for gifting us, Lord God, with your son, Jesus. We will follow you. No turning back. No turning back. We will follow you all the days of our lives with the world behind us and the cross before us. We have decided to follow Jesus. We pray it in your name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Yeah, why don't you welcome these people from the front to the back. Left to the right. Celebrate. 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 The goodness of our God. Can I get an amen? Amen. We love you guys at all of the campuses. We love you. We love you. We love you. I love you with the same fondness that Paul loved the Philippian church. We're praying for you. Have a great day. We'll see you right back here next week or at the baptism celebration. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at www.newhopenc.org. If you would like to financially support the movement of New Hope, you can do so by clicking on the e-giving link at the top of our homepage. We hope you'll join us next week. God bless and thank you for being a part of our church family.